This is not the end because of resurrection. If you're here today listening and you have burdens that need to be lifted, if you have sins that need to be forgiven, we're here to declare that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the hope of forgiveness. Today, Jesus Christ has the power to forgive your sins, to help carry your burdens, and help you discover your purpose on the planet. And because of the cross and the empty tomb, you can have a personal relationship with Almighty God. And Jesus Christ will change your life forever. Now, it's a great honor this morning to stand here on Easter Sunday and proclaim this incredible news of resurrection. I want to give a shout out to the folks that are in overflow this morning. We have over 160 people there. And thank you for being there in that room. And and the sanctuary is packed. This room is packed. And thank you for being here today. You know, we are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also great to see the resurrection of the church, that, uh, that the church is full and that after two years of uh, waiting and waiting, you're here and praise God for that. I want to read to you this morning a uh, scripture passage that I've never preached on in Easter. And, and Chad read for you the story of the resurrection from Matthew's gospel. I want to read to you from 1 Peter. So would you stand, if you're able, as I read God's word with you? Again, this passage is written by the Apostle Peter to the church in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, a church that is under great persecution because they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And the author is is the same Apostle Peter that, that walked with Jesus, who denied Jesus, who was an eyewitness to Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. So here this morning, the word of God. But have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as your Lord. Be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are insulted, Those who speak evil of your good conduct as followers of Christ will become ashamed of what they say. For it is better to suffer for doing good if this should be God's will than for doing evil. And this verse 18, which is one of the cornerstone verses of the New Testament, for Christ died for sins once and for all, a good man on behalf of sinners in order to lead you to God. He was put to death physically, but made alive spiritually. And in his spiritual existence, he went and preached to the imprisoned spirits. These were the spirits of those who had not obeyed God when he waited patiently during the days that Noah was building his boat. The few people in the boat, eight in all, were saved by the water, which was a symbol pointing to baptism, which now saves you. It is not the washing off of dirt, bodily dirt, but the promise made to God from a good conscience. It saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at the right side of God, ruling over all angels and heavenly authorities and powers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, I pray that you would speak today through your holy word. God, may you speak into our hearts truth May you remind us of all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the empty tomb.
And we thank you that we have a message to declare. And we thank you that Jesus Christ has been exalted into the heavens. And we thank you that you invite us to be your people. Now bless us as we receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. At the very beginning of this reading, Peter says, but have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as Lord. On this Easter Sunday, we've come to worship Jesus Christ as the Lord. And, and we, we're inviting you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Now, I believe Easter brings reverence. I've been humbled as I walk around. As I see all of you coming here today, I've been reading online some of the comments from the online people. It's humbling. It, it humbles us to, to, to believe that God has done all of this for us, that he's made a way through Jesus Christ and the resurrection, and we honor him as Lord. Now, there would be no glorious resurrection to celebrate today if there had not been a brutal crucifixion. You cannot have resurrection without death. And Peter talks about crucifixion when he says, for Christ died for sins once and for all, a good man on behalf of sinners in order to lead you to God. If you are here today, listening today, and are in a relationship with God, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, what he's done for me. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. And the Bible tells us that Jesus made atonement for us. Atonement is a hard word to understand. It's an Old Testament concept. And the Old English phrase for atonement is at one moment. That through what Jesus Christ did on the cross in crucifixion makes it possible for us to be in a relationship at one with God. Again, it means that Jesus died on the cross and took our place. He willfully took my sins. He took your sins and the sins of the world and suffered a just punishment so we might not have to. It is through the atonement that Jesus defeated evil powers that have attacked oppressed and distorted God's good creation. These words from 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. But the question today is, all across the world, why do many people still reject the reality of Jesus' life, the, the, the death on the cross and the resurrection? I, I want to suggest two thoughts to you today. The first is the folly of, of individualism, the folly of individualism. David Watson, a Wesleyan scholar, says our individualistic natures try to convince us that we are the arbiters of our own moral life, that we can judge our own character. And there's no higher goal than to be true to myself, that life is all about me. And if life is all about me, then I don't need atonement. Because if life is all about me, there's nothing wrong with, with me. And any attempt to tell me differently is an attempt to control me. Yet I believe that we still face despair and emptiness and hopelessness because we cannot find the answer in me. 
I believe that Jesus Christ's work on the cross was necessary to heal the brokenness in our lives, to heal the brokenness in our world. The folly of individualism, it's all about me. But also I would say it's the fallacy of humanism. The idea that we human beings are inherently good and we can solve all of our own problems. If we have the right government, we have the right, right political structure, we have the right social constructs, we have enough education, we can fix ourselves. As we look back at history, we see continually that humankind cannot fix its problems. We look back to Joseph Stalin, his evil reign that killed 20 million people, that there were 6 million lives lost in the Holocaust. In, this, in the Sudan, in which we have partners there in ministry, over 400,000 Christians have been slaughtered and 3 million have been displaced into abject poverty. And all of us are watching the evil unfold in Ukraine. And we're seeing the slaughter of innocent civilians. And then yesterday at the Columbiana Mall, we saw violence rear its ugly head. The idea that we humans can fix our problems is a fallacy. And I believe that we need a crucified and resurrected Savior today just as much as the world needed Jesus 2,000 years ago. And I'm here to tell you that he's risen and he is the Savior. We have a crucifixion, and Peter talks about the resurrection, which is why we're here today. He says he was put to death physically, but made alive spiritually, that God the Father on the third day raised his son to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was dead for three days, but he's not dead anymore. Somebody say amen to that. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. On the third day, Jesus' heart began to beat again. On the third day, the Holy Spirit breathed breath into the lungs of Jesus, and he started breathing again, and the stone was rolled away. And then Jesus resurrected, appeared to his disciples. He appeared to the apostle Peter, who made this declaration in his letter to the church in Asia Minor. He appeared to uh, 500, over 500 witnesses during a six-week period. And the resurrection of Jesus turned the first followers of Jesus from being depressed, from being disillusioned and defeated into courageous men and women full of hope, of a contagious hope that changed the world. This morning, if you're here or listening and you're depressed and you're disillusioned, you're deconstructing your faith, you're defeated in your faith, Jesus Christ can change your life. He can give you hope where you've lost hope. I believe that if you're listening, well, I know this, if you're listening to my voice today, whether in the room or online, that you are physically alive. That's a given, right? If you're listening, you're physically alive. If you will listen to the words of Jesus Christ, if you will receive the words of Jesus Christ, he can make you alive spiritually. He can change your life from the inside out because he is alive, he's resurrected, and he is present here through the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. You know, from the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. From the empty tomb, Jesus declared, I'm not finished. The work of Jesus Christ is not finished in me, in you, in this church, in the world, he came to give us life and life abundant. See, God's plan for redemption was finished on the cross. That's why Jesus said it is finished. 
But the work of salvation, the work of transformation, and the establishment of God's kingdom is not finished. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And even though our world is constantly changing, and it is changing in amazing ways, the resurrection of Jesus never changes. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ will change everything for anyone who believes. Now we have this interesting passage here where after sharing the great news of crucifixion resurrection, it says that Jesus, so he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now what in the world does that mean? That he's in the tomb, buried there on Friday, and on Saturday or sometime in that three-day period, he visits the prisons. I want us to do something that we don't usually do in this room. I want us to share together in the Apostles' Creed. And I want to use the traditional version of the Apostles' Creed that includes these words from Peter. Would you stand as we share together, if you're able to stand, as we share together in the historic confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And amen. God's people said, that's good. That's good, isn't it? You may be seated. I want to talk a minute about what does it mean that he descended into hell? And near the end of my message, I'm going to talk about what does it mean that he ascended into heaven? Descended into hell and ascended into heaven. I believe in descending into hell. Jesus went there to claim full victory over Satan and all the principalities and powers of evil. You see, at the crucifixion, Satan thought that he had won and that God's plan for redemption had been defeated. He thought he had won the final round and then Jesus descends into hell and all hell breaks loose because Jesus is there and he is alive. And I love what it says in Hebrews 2.15 from the message, by embracing death and taking it into himself, he, being Jesus, destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. My friends, if you're scared to death of death, Jesus Christ has destroyed death. And that when we do die on this planet, we are given the hope as Christians that we will rise again and death will not defeat us. You see, Jesus' descent into hell brings victory to all those who had believed in God before Christ and all of those who believe in God after his res resurrection. The Greek word hapax says once for all time, that Jesus Christ died once for all time. He resurrected once for all time. He doesn't continually have to be crucified. He doesn't continually have to be resurrected. He did it once for all time, past, present, and future. 
And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he is the son of God. It provides, provides victory for past sins. It proves that there's life after death. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ must be declared. It must be preached. It must be presented. Declaration. Peter said it this way. Be ready at all times, all times, to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. Even the great evangelist, Billy Graham, he always presented the gospel with gentleness and respect. We are called to do the same. And this is Paul, is say, again, Peter is saying this to a church under immense persecution. But it's important to share what we believe when we understand what we believe. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects. So this morning, I want you to fully embrace the hope that you have in you through Jesus Christ. Jim Warner Wallace was a cold case homicide detective in Los Angeles, California. For over 35 years, he, he's shown the ability to solve crimes that have gone unsolvable. He, he appears on TV all the time. My wife is a big fan. She loves all the crime shows, the forensic shows. She should have been a forensic uh, scientist, but she knows Jim Warner Wallace. But what you may not know about Jim Warner Wallace, he was also a devout and outspoken atheist. His father was also a cold case investigator. For 38 years, his father investigated cold cases. His father was also a hardened atheist. And so Warner Wallace decided he would follow in his father's footsteps. And he said, how can you believe a claim made about an event in the past and there is little forensic evidence? So Warner Wallace did not attend church because he didn't believe in God. And his wife was a cultural Catholic, and he described that as somebody who went to mass occasionally. And you may know people that are cultural Christians that just occasionally demonstrate their faith. Well, Wallace Warner and his wife decided to go to an evangelical church one weekend because they were preaching a sermon series on parenting. And they thought they might learn some tips on how to be better parents. But when he got there, the pastor made this bold claim that Jesus was the smartest man in the history of the world. And in addition to that, all Western civilization was founded upon the messages that he spoke. And Warner Wallace, a devout atheist, said, there's no way that's true. There is no way that Jesus Christ impacted the world that way. So he put his highly technical forensic skills to use and began to try to prove the pastor wrong, to investigate with forensic tools the gospel narratives of Jesus. Now, typically, when Warner Wallace investigates cold cases, the victim is already dead. And most of the witnesses have died. And most of the investigators are dead. So all he's got to go on is, is, is written evidence and testimony. It sounds a little bit like the gospel, right? It sounds a little bit like the Bible. As he began to investigate, the evidence he found was compelling. And Warner Wallace came to the startling realization that the case for Christianity and the resurrection was as convincing as any case he had ever investigated. 
And his reasoning led him to conclude that Christianity is true. And he became a believer in Jesus. And he authored a book called Cold Case Christianity. And if you're an apologist or if you have questions or doubts or know somebody that has those, that may be a good book to read. But Wallace goes on to say that one of the big concerns is that seven out of 10 of the young adults that are leaving the faith today are doing so because they do not believe that the evidence in the Bible is true. He said the other three out of 10 are leaving faith because of some hypocrisy or some failure within the church. But he then says this powerful statement that we do not need another $1 million apologist to prove Christianity is true. He says we need $1 million apologist who will give testimony that Jesus Christ is real in their life. He's talking about you. That you, as Peter said, would take the opportunity to explain your faith to anybody that asks you. And that you would understand the hope that is in you, that is found in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And I believe that is a great responsibility because the first place the young people are going to come are to their parents or to their other friends who say they're Christian. And it's important that we understand that Jesus Christ lives and that the evidence in the scriptures prove that he lives. Jesus said it this way in John 8, 28. When you lift up, Jesus' words, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am who I am. And so my role as a pastor is to lift up Jesus Christ. I don't lift up Jeff Kersey. I don't lift up Mount Horeb. I don't lift up the Methodist Church. I lift up Jesus Christ. And we lift up Jesus Christ Jesus Christ will draw all people to himself. Now, let me say a word about disillusionment and about those who question faith because of failure or hypocrisy within the church, wherever that might be. There's always been some level of hypocrisy because we're all human beings and nobody in the church is perfect. And I've said many times, if you're looking for a perfect church, and you find it, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> there have always been folks who have made mistakes within the church. But I want to say this this morning. We do not put our faith in entities or identities, but in the divinity of Jesus Christ. I stand on the divinity of Jesus Christ, that he is God's son that was crucified, is resurrected. You know, there's a lot, a lot of isms in the world today. A lot of isms to follow. There's always been isms, but I want to challenge you, church, not to follow the latest ism. Don't follow the latest craze. Don't, don't follow what's sweeping social media. We do not need a church that is moved by the world. We need a church that will move the world. We do not need a church that is moved by the world, but we need a church that will move the world. When the, when the church was founded in the book of Acts following the resurrection of Jesus, the church moved the world. In fact, it changed the whole Roman Greco empire. Why? Because they talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they lifted up the name of Jesus Christ above every other name. Now, Peter reminds his, his listeners who are under immense persecution that when you share what you know about Jesus Christ, do it in a gentle and respectful way. And church, we need to do the same. 
I was talking to Prashanth, who was here as an intern at Mount Horb about four years ago for a year. He now co-pastors a church in India with his father and we're partners together. And he told me the story about a uh, very successful businessman in his community, Mr. Rayo. And Mr. Rayo was well-known, well-respected, but he wasn't a believer in Jesus. But his wife began to believe in Jesus, became a secret follower of Jesus. But her husband would never let her go to church because you just couldn't go to church. You, you can't go to church. And that culture, that was embarrassment and even death. But Prashant says one day, his father ran into Mr. Rayo and they had a conversation. And in Prashant's words, he says, Mr. Rayo began to like my dad in his words, but he didn't like Jesus. But he liked my dad enough that he let his wife start to start going to church. And she started attending church publicly for the first time. And Prashant said, let's fast forward to November, 2021, when Mr. Rayo was diagnosed with cancer and life was, was fleeing his body. And so Prashanth and his father went and prayed with Mr. Rayo and prayed for his health. He said, we prayed for him for two weeks. And in those two weeks, something started to happen in his life. And Mr. Rayo accepted Jesus as his personal savior. And just before he died, he said to Prashanth and his Prashanth's father, I want you to have a Christian funeral for me so that all those who've never heard about Jesus can hear about Jesus. And Prashanth said there were about 200 people that day that heard about Jesus for the first time. You see, tell people what you know about Jesus in a gentle, respectful, and a kind way. Lift up Jesus Christ and he will draw all people to himself. We talked about crucifixion. We've talked about resurrection. Peter talks about declaration. Peter also talks about exaltation. In, in, in 21 and 22 of what I read, Peter says, it saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God, ruling over all angels and heavenly authorities and powers. So the question, my friends, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that he is alive, where is he right now? Where is Jesus right now? Well, the scriptures tell us, and Peter tells us, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sets enthroned in heaven at the right hand of the Father in a human glorified body with scars from his crucifixion, and he's living to intercede for me, to intercede for you. I praise God that right now as I'm preaching and throughout the morning when I was writing this message, that Jesus Christ was saying, help him, Father. <laughs> help him, Father. He needs some help, Father. That's not going to fly, Father. Give him another story, Father. Open a door for him. I believe that right now, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. He is calling your name out to the Father on your behalf. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from heaven. He is the Lord of the church. He's the commander of the angel armies. He's God's son. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And we exalt him today. We've been singing about him. When we come together to worship, we sing and exalt Jesus Christ because his name is above every other name. Amen? The name of Jesus. Now, I got a text a couple weeks ago from someone who prays for me and reminds me of what my job is as a pastor. 
and said, it was 25 years ago this Easter, he said, I got saved. And I'm praying that when you preach on Easter Sunday at Mount Horeb, there'll be people who get saved, who will give their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. So an invitation, again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. It is my prayer that, that in the next couple minutes, the next five minutes, that your future will start right now, that you will invite Jesus Christ, God's son, into your life. These words are recorded in John 11 from Jesus. He said, I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Anyone, anyone who believes in me, even though he dies like anyone else, shall live again. He has given eternal life for believing in me and shall never perish. An invitation has been extended to you. I want to close by reading a portion of Luke 23. It's about an invitation. It says, when they got to the place called Skull Hill, they crucified him along with the criminals, one to his right, the other on his left. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And one of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And he said, don't worry, I will. Today you'll join me in paradise. Do you, do you hear what's going on there? One criminal made fun of Jesus and acted as if death was the end of life, but he was wrong. Death is not the end of life. Death is the beginning of eternity, either in heaven or hell. The, the other criminal is basically saying, don't you realize that we're in trouble here? And don't you realize that in a few seconds, we're going to stand face to face to God. And he turns to Jesus and says, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You talk about a last minute cry for help, a last minute cry for mercy. But the thief realized his greatest need was forgiveness, not relief from his pain. Now, I know that someone listening right now is in a lot of pain. And I still believe your greatest need is forgiveness because forgiveness will help you navigate your pain. I believe that the power of Jesus Christ can give you strength in your pain. And the greatest hope you can have in your pain is that he is with you and he is for you. Alistair Begg is the senior pastor of the Cleveland Parkside Church. And he talked about what it must have been like when the, the thief arrived at the gates of heaven. And the interview might have gone something like this. What are you doing here? I don't know. Well, what did you do to get here? I, I don't know. Well, did you attend the synagogue? Did you receive communion? Were you baptized? No. Well, do you know what justification by faith means? Do you know the steps to salvation? I don't know any of that. Well, what do you know? 
The only thing I know is that the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Today I tell you that the man on the middle cross, whose name was Jesus, says you can come and be a part of God's family. Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you that Jesus Christ has come and has come into this world to demonstrate your love for us so much that he was willing to suffer a brutal crucifixion to die in my place, to die in our place, to die for the sins of the world. And today, in faith, we receive and believe what Jesus Christ did. And right now, Father God, we invite Jesus Christ into our life. We confess our sins and ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us and make us right. Something that we cannot do ourselves. Father, we know that we're broken. We know that we're empty. We know that we're in pain. And we know that through a relationship with you, you give us life and you give us peace and you give us power. So thank you, Father God, that right now in this moment, there are many, not just in, at Mount Horeb, but all across the world, in India, in Liberia, in California, in New York, in South America, that people are gathered in churches hearing this incredible news of Jesus' resurrection. And I pray, Father God, a great awakening will break out across the world and your church will move the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.